Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning. Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, I hope you're doing well, not uh, too stressed out or anything, and remembering the reason for all seasons, and particularly Christmas and the Word that became flesh, the mystery of the Incarnation, Jesus. Um, it's all about Him, not about us, not about presents, not about obligations, uh, guilt, or commercialism. Remember that. Um, Jim Fletcher is our guest today. The focus will be Israel Globalism, world news, Bible prophecy. But before we get to that, we're also going to talk about a chapter in the book Trajectory. Um, It was put together by Terry James, the general editor, who we had on a few weeks ago when the book came out, or first came out. Uh, Jim's chapter is called Holy Land Prepares for Unholy Lightning. So we're going to get to that in the second half of the podcast. But I just want to share some headlines real quick. And by the way, Merry Christmas, Mary. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Good morning. Um, So the FBI, if you guys don't know about this yet, any source you go to, even some progressive liberal uh, Democrat sources uh, in the so-called news will admit now what Twitter and Facebook and other big tech media outlets did during the 2020 election and campaign cycle. I've just got one headline, and this is coming out now. We are no longer conspiracy theorists. If people don't uh, admit this is happening, they are in denial. The FBI treated Twitter like its partisan pawn, aiding the Biden administration through government-sponsored censorship. That's just one headline. Go to Washington Times, Examiner. There's so many other headlines. You can look this up on your own. We don't have time to get into it. But the info is out there for those who want it that big tech, social media giants run by the Democrats, funneled money back and forth, right? Um, They really supported Joe Biden, and they censored uh, Trump, Christians, conservatives, and Republicans. So that's a fact uh, no longer to be disputed. Now, WashingtonStand.com, they have an article called Transgender Agenda is Losing Support, and they get into some um, stats in here and some percentages that are very interesting Of course, the devil is not going to lose a foothold, I don't believe, in America. But this agenda, it's really affecting children and parents and families, and people are starting to resist a little bit, but not enough. Kirk Cameron, as you know, uh, was trying to get into libraries, which are funded by our tax dollars, just to read a book on the biblical worldview. And uh, he was shut down by, I guess, more than 40 libraries, said, no, you can't come in. We are... LGBTQ friendly. It's not a safe space if you come in. But now he's declaring victory after some libraries reportedly reversed the course and uh, on this, quote, unfair and illegal treatment. So they're allowing him now to host his story hour, which is good. Uh, Stanford releases a guide to eliminate harmful language. What's one of those words in the harmful language, according to our university systems in America? Stanford, it's not the only college that's doing this. What are they cautioning us not to say. Ready? American. That's right. Don't call U.S. citizens American for many, many, many reasons, right? So that's not, we don't have time to get into that. What happens over in Europe doesn't stay in Europe. A British woman is arrested for silent prayer outside an abortion clinic. Silent prayer. She was praying silently, standing up, just closing her eyes, and she was arrested. So now the thought police are out. And they're not going to end there. Um, there's a not-so-subtle agenda to eradicate Christmas. What does that mean? There's a, an attack on the biblical worldview and our speech. This took decades of programming 
Uh, my new article over at Harbinger's Daily is uh, the not-so-subtle agenda to eradicate Christmas. And finally, two more. Zelensky, he made a trip to the U.S. during wartime and uh, spoke to Congress. He got a standing ovation from legislators at the U.S. Capitol yesterday. And Mary and I were talking before the podcast. Whoever uh, gives this guy, this globalist, this leader, a standing ovation, uh, that should signal a little red flag here among the rest of us. So uh, one of his mentors is uh, Emperor Trudeau up in Canada, Justin Trudeau. Uh, so seriously, Zelensky is a, a dangerous guy. Um, I'm not saying the people don't need help, and I'm not saying to stop praying for the Christians over in the Ukraine, but understand their government. We'll talk more with Jim Fletcher about that. And finally, and I mean this, Netanyahu announces coalition will begin unprecedented sixth term as prime minister. We're going to talk to Jim Fletcher about that. So, Jim, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you as well. I want to mention a couple of your books uh, for people that um, maybe are new to your ministry over at raptureready.com. You host the radio show Israel Watch, and you've got a section over there at Rapture Ready. You also have books Truth Wins, The End of the World as We Know It, Miracle of Israel, and uh, now you are part of, uh, we're one of 18 Bible prophecy experts in this book, Trajectory, put together by Terry James. Let's talk about just uh, how you got uh, your topic and how you got to uh, be in that book. Well, uh, of course, I've had the privilege of knowing Terry for many years, uh, going way back to the 90s when I was uh, uh, his, his book editor, and so I was introduced to his work then. And so over the years, we've gotten to be good friends, and uh, so usually when he comes out with a new book, he, you know, uh, goes to a list of guys, and and uh, with me, it's uh, it's usually an Israel topic, and uh, and he's he's real good about uh, giving us, you know, carte blanche to to talk about it the way we want. So uh, those those ensemble books, I call them, are, are a lot of fun, and I think uh, hopefully informative for people. And I just want to mention some other names in there. We did have Terry James on a few weeks ago to talk about the book in depth and some of the content. And uh, uh, Tim Moore, um, let's see, Todd Strandberg, uh, Nathan Jones, Mike Gendron, Jeff Kinley, Pete Garcia, Damon Duck, um, Tom Hughes, my goodness, Jonathan Brentner, um, and Dr. David Reagan, and of course, Jim Fletcher. So, Jim... What Mary and I wanted to talk about today, obviously, is what's going on in Israel. And I love, over in this article at raptureready.com, it's all in the timing that you wrote. We must always remember that things can change on a dime, especially in the Middle East. So let's talk about events there, and I'll just uh, hand it over to Mary to get this conversation going. Yeah, Jim, your article, um, it's all in the timing, just from December 12th. Uh, You say, one of the most fascinating aspects of Bible prophecy is paying attention to details. If we're in the season of the very end of the end times, big things are happening. But are we paying attention to those details? And you mentioned one here, uh, which is a very hot topic, is the timing of the Gog and Magog War. And if if, uh, people maybe are new in the audience here, if you have never read Ezekiel 38, 36, 37, 38, 39, uh, 39. Um, a very, very detailed prophecy that the first time I read it, I remember thinking, wow, I mean, if all these incredible details, we should know the season of this, right? And chapter 36 is about Israel being regathered in the land. So it starts out with that so that we know where we're at. And then it talks about a coalition of nations that will descend on Israel in the last days um, to wipe her out. Now, this has not happened yet. But then you say... Um, uh, a key detail here is, and thou shalt say, this is 38.11, Ezekiel 38.11, and thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. And you say that certainly does not describe Israel today as the security barrier and myriad other checkpoints and barriers exist throughout the country. So that leads me to a headline from the last, uh, about uh, two weeks ago, that has seemingly been completely ignored uh, by the church, I think. And it says, world leaders propel Abraham Accords forward at Rome Summit. So earlier in this month was something called the Global Leadership Summit 
and they met in Rome. Now, the Abraham Accords were signed in 2020, the original uh, accords making peace between Israel and the United Arab Emirates, Jordan, and Bahrain. And that was signed on Rosh Hashanah. 2020. But this article goes on to say, world leaders, entrepreneurs, lawmakers, academics, and clergy from over 30 countries converged in Rome on Wednesday, this would have been December 9th, for the first annual Abraham Accords Global Leadership Summit. Wow. Uh, the summit celebrated the seismic change that the Abraham Accords, which normalized relations between Israel and several Arab countries, have brought to the Middle East. Um, and it, it talks about adopting the Abrahamic Values Pledge, which really is all about how Christians, Muslims, and Jews, who call Abraham their father, can all just get along. And I guess I'm wondering, Jim, why was this so ignored? Because now if we're talking Ezekiel um, 38.11, where Israel dwells in safety, and also in Daniel it talks about the Antichrist confirms a covenant with the many to start the tribulation. Uh, I guess I'm thinking how, I mean, is this a detail that you're talking about, one of those things that kind of flew over our heads? Well, yeah, I mean, this is a really interesting uh, part of the puzzle because you have, uh, you know, sort of contradictory things going on at the same time. You have this Abraham Accords, which is fostering, uh, you know, historic peace between Israel and, and some of her neighbors at the same time. You know, there's still conflict over there, and uh, um, you know, there's there's talk now that um, Morocco may join uh, these accords. There's talk that, uh, incredibly, Saudi Arabia may come into the fold at some point. So these are historic things that are happening. I think the, the one of the main reasons that that story has been ignored is the left uh, hated. The Abraham Accords. They, they, uh, well, anything that Donald Trump had a, a part in, or Netanyahu had a part in, and really is the two of them that that drove that home. Uh, you know, the left doesn't want to give him any credit for anything good. And mm-hmm. in fact, I think the left has always had a vested interest in keeping uh, Israel and her neighbors in in turmoil. And so, you know, that's one main reason why the the mainstream media doesn't cover it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it, it seems to me that one of the keys to the Abraham Accords is it's uh, it's more of a business model. It's more business relationship. Now, I think over time, you know, real relationships can develop, but I think it's more prag- pragmatic reasons, practical reasons. And so that's one of the things that makes me wonder, you know, are the Abraham Accords long-term? Now, we know that they can't be uh, infinitely long-term because at some point, uh, per Ezekiel, per Zechariah, there's going to be you know coalition armies uh, coming against Israel. But for now, um, you know, I in general would support the Abraham Accords in, in the sense that uh, my, my prophecy mentor, David Lewis, said one time that, you know, a cold peace is better than a hot war. <laughs> And and so he supported thirty years ago the uh, the treaties with Egypt and Jordan uh, because he said you know people are not being killed and uh, so I can support it for for those reasons but uh, but long term I don't know uh, how long they'll last now I think uh, one of the reasons that it's back in the news now is because Netanyahu has been swept back into power. Mm-hmm. And so long as uh, uh, Yair Lapid and, and Natalie Bennett were in charge in Israel, that was going to be uh, stunted. Um, it's obvious that Biden is not going to, uh, uh, you know, be glad about that. So Netanyahu's uh, back in power, and I think that's one of the key reasons why the Abraham Accords are back in the news. Jim, can we talk about um, I'm, I'm this article? There, I mean, there's many out there in different sources, but uh, Netanyahu announcing his coalition um, sixth term, which uh, I believe is historic there. Um, at the end of this, this particular article over at CBN News, it says, although Netanyahu now has a clear path to the prime minister's office, his party still must pass legislation with the religious parties to cement their agreement. Um, how does that work? 
Well, you know, in, in Israel, their their system is, is different than ours in the sense that they have a parliament where, uh, you know, when you go to the polls to vote, you're voting really more for a party than a, than a candidate. I mean, you're, you're doing both, obviously, uh, like you do here, but... But there, you know, if you're a member of the Likud, um, you you vote Likud, and and then it, it so happens that Netanyahu is the leader of that party at the moment. Um, they uh, the the negative to their system is uh, each leader is is really beholden to a lot of different parties. So in other words, they have to cobble together a coalition. You know, it's not. Like here, Republican wins, you know, that they're in charge. Uh, Netanyahu is dealing with center, left, and right parties all the time. Um, it so happens this time that, uh, and, and you're right, I think he is now the longest serving, well, he was already the longest serving prime minister, and now he's just going to add to his, his record. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, always before, especially in the 90s in his first term, he was always operating with a razor-thin majority, which means hmm. 61 out of 120 seats. And by the way, I've always loved this detail. The reason that the Knesset is 120 members is because it, that's how many members were in the Babylonian Exile Council wow. 2,500 years ago. Huh. Wow. <laughs> 2,500 so, years ago. Wow. Yeah, it, wow. And so, which is another... Yeah, that's another uh, cool feature about Israel. Every the past is always present and future at the same time. I mean, they they're very mindful of their of their heritage. So anyway, now though, because Netanyahu has been able to make some deals with the with far right parties, it looks like he's going to end up with a sixty four seat majority, which in in their world is a huge majority. Um, you know, he, he's not. I mean, let's say one small party gets mad at him in two months. They can't bring the government down, uh, which is what happened before. So he's now operating with a pretty solid majority. But, but some of the legislation that they want to, to pass is favoring what I would call conservative principles. They want to expand the Jewish communities, which you know the world calls settlements, um, they want to uh, make it more difficult to bar uh, far-right parties from serving the Knesset and things like that. Um, I personally didn't see any anything that would would scare me away from from making an alliances with those parties, and, and Netanyahu has certainly done that. And uh, it looks like there there's a, there's a fellow named uh, Itamar Ben Gavir who's kind of a new. Uh, uh, younger but but very Zionist uh, leader of one of these far right parties, and he he looks like, you know, he has some real solutions to security problems. He wants to strengthen the Jewish presence in Judea Samaria. So that's all good, mm. and and this has all happened because the policies of the left are always failures, mm. and the people over there are well aware of that, and they're tired of it. Well, I wish Americans would get that message. <laughs> the policies of the left, it, it's, it's just amazing. It just hurts the country. It damages the country. It sounds like Israel at least uh, pays more attention to these things than the uh, busy, distracted United States of entertainment. Our guest today, Jim Fletcher. You can read more from his, about his writings over at raptureready.com. He's got a Israel Watch uh, section over there. Great website. And uh, we'll, a little later on, we'll go into this book, Trajectory, because Jim contributed a chapter. We'll get to that in the second half of the podcast. More about Netanyahu when we come back, about Israel, uh, Bible prophecy, which is always a, a great focus when we have Jim Fletcher on the podcast. So it's a blessing to be able to go here right before Christmas. And when we come back, we're going to talk about why more people, believers in the West, don't pay attention or understand these things, what's happening in the Middle East in regard to Bible prophecy. More on Stand Up for the Truth, uh, pre-Merry Christmas version, when we come back.
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. So we can always come back a little bit uh, to Netanyahu and Israel and Zelensky, Abraham Accords, whatever else you want to discuss, one world religion. But we want now to go to the book, Trajectory, and Jim's chapter in there, which, again, it's entitled, Holy Land Prepares for Unholy Lightning. But there's a section in this chapter that Jim wrote called A City Without Walls. Mayor? This was so fascinating to me, Jim. I'm so grateful that you wrote this. Uh, There's a quote in your book, uh, End of the World as We Know It. You say, I have come to believe that the greatest proof that God exists and the Bible is true is the Jews. And I couldn't agree more. But you talk about Zechariah 2 and a prophecy in there. And I want to read just those few verses. And I want to have you comment on um, your experience of walking the ramparts in Jerusalem, which which I have done. You walk around the walls of the city and you see these narrow little windows uh, like a castle. And it's just the most fascinating view of life in general. But Zechariah 2 uh, is the vision of the measuring line. Uh, verse 2, I, then I raised my eyes and looked and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Oh, that was verse 1. Verse 2, so I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what it's with and what is its width and what is its length? Verse 3, And there was an angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. Verse 5, For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Okay, so Jim, and starting in, oh, the mid-19th century or so, some men came along who did some very interesting Things with Jerusalem. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I, I came across this probably 20 years ago, and I, I realized after some time that it's probably the most fascinating, obscure prophecy I've ever read. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and so what happened was, you know, it, within a few sentences there, you have some interesting details. So at the time Zechariah recorded that, you know, in all the ancient city-states, Nobody lived outside the city walls because of the danger. I mean, mm-hmm. it was wild animals, it was outlaws, it was all sorts of things. And so at night, you came in and, and locked yourself in. Well, so you read that, and that wouldn't have made sense to anyone at that time. Um, so I, I read that, um, and I happened to be walking through uh, a museum there in, in the old city in Jerusalem, one day and and you know how the the castles or ancient walls all have those narrow windows here and there so I I was looking through one and you could see construction going on in the city in the western side of the city you know cranes and new buildings going up but just to the right of this open window was a plaque and it was Zechariah chapter 2 and it dawned on me, it was like a bomb went off in my head. I thought, wait a second, they, they understand that that prophecy is being fulfilled right now. I mean, it, you're watching it literally be fulfilled, and, and what it was is in the 19th century, a British uh, businessman from London named Moses Montefiore, he had heard about uh, the crowded living conditions in Jerusalem. And, you know, there was a disease because of it, and they didn't have adequate sewer and and plumbing and things. And so he thought one solution is, you know, let's let's thin out the population in the sense that we'll we'll build some apartments and dwellings outside, just immediately outside the walls that have their own gardens and and people get out in the fresh air and, and it would just and it would open up the city. And so that's exactly what they did. Uh, he provided the funding, and by 1860, I mean, when we were involved in the Civil War, they were building this little section outside mm. the walls. So, boom, right there, that is, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how a critic of the Bible or Bible prophecy could refute this. Mm-hmm. I mean, what would your answer be? Mm-hmm. 2,500 years ago, this very specific odd prophecy was recorded, <laughs> and now it's being fulfilled to the letter. 
Wow. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, the, even the measuring line stuff. Uh, I've got a, an obscure book over here on the shelf that at the time Montefiore's crews were working there, the, the British government sent uh, surveyors, and a, a surveyor named Charles Wilson literally measured the city so they could install modern plumbing, sewer lines. And, and so the, the man with the measuring line is Charles Wilson. <laughs> and, and so uh, the, the, the end of this little story for me here is that, uh, so I was over there, and I'm, and I'm looking around, and I'm thinking, wow, I, I wonder if any of those buildings still exist. So I asked some guy, and, you know, it's funny, you ask an Israeli about historical stuff, and he'll just, they just wave his hand and go, yeah, it's over there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right they on. live in it, you know. Yeah. And I'm just, my mind is blown. Well, sure <laughs> enough, right across from Jaffa Gate on the hillside, just down the hill from King David Hotel, is this community. Hmm. And it was called uh, uh, Mishkanot Shananim. And so I walk over there, and, and there's this long apartment look. It looked like a duplex. And it's it's natural rock. Anyway, I go in, you know, I'm just stumbling around, and uh, they told me that it's now an artist colony. Um, and if you are a writer or you know something like this, you can stay there. I mean, you can you can like it's a hotel. And it was only because I'm a writer that I I so I thought. I, I've got to do this. <laughs> so I, I booked two nights, and, and that night I'm lying there in bed, and I'm lying in one of the apartments that Montefiore had built. Yep. Mm. And I thought, it doesn't get any better than this. Wow. And, yeah. and so it's such a powerful confirmation of prophecy and fulfillment mm-hmm. of prophecy. So that's what that one is about. Mm. All the buildings are still there. There's a windmill that Montefiore mm-hmm. had built. Um, and it's all still there, and it's it's uh, renovated now. Um, but it's it's right there in front of your face, and it's. Uh, I really believe that prophecy today is the greatest evangelism tool we have, mm-hmm. and and yet it's so ignored. Yes, but stories like this. Mm-hmm. I think is where it's at. It makes prophecy great again, doesn't yeah, it? I mean, yeah. I just yes. this is why yes. I love prophecy is things like this. And I remember that windmill. I remember going my first year in 1999, and we had a day off, and and uh, I saw that windmill, and I was drawn to it, and I started walking around the area, not really understanding what I was seeing, but thinking this is absolutely beautiful. Mm. The stone, it's just one of the most neighborhoods. And, uh, and with the gardens in back. Yeah, just amazing. Right? Yep. So yeah. that is fascinating, Jim. That's, yep. So, friends, you can look at Zechariah um, chapter 2, 1 through 5. Um, let's go back 20 years. Uh, you're in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I love the little section you wrote about here in your chapter um, on this bishop, John Shelby Spong, an Episcopal Bishop, who what you just said about some people just deny or they'll find a way to just really ignore prophecy in a way. Please tell us that story because I believe there's an apologetic there we can learn from, how we can ask questions, how we can defend the faith, because he basically gave a non-response, but I'll let you tell the story. Yeah, uh, Spong is the uh, fairly infamous uh retired Episcopal bishop from New Jersey. He actually passed away, I think, in the last year. He lived to be in his 90s. And and he was one of these uh, radical progressives who really didn't believe any of the, the fundamentals of the faith, and yet he still identified as Christian. And, and I, you know, I think that there are people like that who are deceived, but there are people also like that who are deceivers. Mm-hmm. And I think he was an active deceiver. He was too smart. He understood the issues. He simply chose not to believe the Bible. He didn't like the God of the Bible. And so uh, 20 years ago, it was in, in 2002, um, an Episcopal church near the University of Arkansas campus uh, saw where they were hosting him in a lecture series. And uh, I thought, man, this is a rare opportunity to hear a guy like this. So I went over. And, uh, you know, the, the fellowship hall was packed, and they knew who he was, 
and he was a national figure uh, in religious circles. Um, and so, you know, he gives kind of his standard stump speech. But one thing that distinguished Spong from others is he was very arrogant and mocking in his uh, in his criticisms of you know the, the sufficiency of, uh, sufficiency of scripture. And so, you know, he he, he decided uh, among other things. I mean, you know, virgin birth and things like that. Of course, he rejected he rejected the physical resurrection of Christ. But but he got into one part of his talk where he really took off on Bible prophecy and he's really mocking it. And he mm-hmm. at one point he's talking about, as he put it, the physics involved in Jesus' physical resurrection to earth. And he actually said at one point, uh, at laughing, that you know he'd burn up on reentry. And and I was so horrified by this blasphemy. And I and but I looked around and everybody was just applauding. They just they just they thought he was the greatest thing. They laughed at, at that and, wow. and everything. So that's prophetic, by the a, way. Mm-hmm. Mockers and yeah, scoffers. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Second Peter. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so so he's he's really going down that road, and and he just he just rejects predicted prophecy. So during the question and answer session afterwards, you know he got. All of his questions were softballs, except uh, I raised my hand, and he he called on me, and I said, you know, you uh, you, you say that Bible prophecy isn't valid, and, and it's it's not, you know, it's coincidental and things like that, but I said, um, uh, the 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 uh, the section in Exodus, the the pa- the past the uh, the Exodus from from Egypt. You know that night they are leaving Egypt, and and uh, and so the Lord tells them that the meal they had that night, they would remember that and commemorate it every year, forever. Okay, and I said, so Bishop Spong, given that, and the fact that now. 95% of Jews worldwide, most of whom are secular, stop what they're doing <laughs> and observe Passover. How do you explain that? And, you know, he wasn't expecting any kind of pushback. <laughs> and so he he sort of, uh, he turned around and, and he put his fingers to his lips like he's deep in thought, you know. <laughs> and And I knew that he was doing that to buy time to think of how he's going to answer. And and in the end, he looked back up and he said, I just I just reject that. He says, I just don't believe that. And and I thought, well, that's not a good enough answer. <laughs> you know? And and so there is where you see, you know, sometimes we're intended by the PhDs, mm-hmm. by people like this that have written a lot of books, and yet all it takes is a childlike faith that Scripture is the very word of God. That's all you need on your side mm. to refute a blasphemer like this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, won't, I won't go into this, but in the very same church a few years before that, very similar type lecture by Marcus Borg, who had the same views. Borg is a thing. But yet, you can refute these guys fairly easily by bringing up just some basic facts. And so, um, that that I hope is an encouragement to listeners that you know, if you're a student in a college class or you're in a uh, ministry setting where there's one of these famous celebrities that really doesn't believe the Bible, you don't have to keep your mouth shut. You don't have to worry that they're going to make you look foolish. It's going to be the reverse. Yep. Yeah. If if you believe the Bible. And if you know the facts. Right. Right. And Correct. I'm thinking we were talking about scoffers and I I just have to read a couple of these verses here in 2 Peter 3 uh, 3 to 7, just a couple of them starting uh, well it says verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And then it says for this they willfully forget Reminds me of Bishop Spong, willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished. 
being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition. Look at this. He's got in here uh, creation, the flood, and the second coming. All three of these things, which are so critical to our faith, are the three things that the scoffers go after. Uh, and so if Genesis is not pr- true, Revelation's not true, Jesus is not coming again. So guys like McLaren and this guy, they're all in that same scoffing boat. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about I'm, that too. Go ahead, Jim. I just want to real quickly say, I'm really glad you brought that up because that's exactly the point. Peter was telling us that at the time of the end, in the church, mm. there would be people who would, what would they do first? First, you have to get rid of the foundation. You have to undermine Genesis. Mm-hmm. Once you undermine Genesis, then you can go to the rest of it, and you will end up with the great end times prophecies. And, and if you can undermine those in people's minds, then you have accomplished your task. And yet, those people are fulfilling the very prophecy that they refute. And I actually asked Brian McLaren that very thing one time. He, uh, you know, he... he he doesn't believe in anything that we do, um, but but he you know he's really mocked the idea of, of prophecy and, and the rapture and things like that. And so I said to him one time, I said, I think this is ironic. Do you not see yourself in Second Peter? <laughs> <laughs> and and he, you know he uh, he he laughed and and you know I said no. And then I said, I'd really like to talk to you about this and maybe oh. interview you. And he looked at me and he said, I don't trust you. Oh, oh my man. God. I just don't trust you. Okay, you understand, wow. as he did, that that is a meaningless comment. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. a tactic. It's, yeah. it's, it's going to shut down any yep. future right. conversation. Yeah. I don't believe that. Yeah, he just said that. He yeah. knows he knows that what I said is correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, an, it's a non-answer. It's evasive. Yeah. It's deceptive. Wow. And yeah. yes, um, thank you, Jim. I, I just appreciate hearing that. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, him and what he said. There's a quote in this chapter that you wrote um, uh, that McLaren talked about prophecy. And we're, we're going to talk about that modern-day scoffers a little bit more. But I want to remind people before we take our break, uh, the Old Testament lists several hundred prophecies regarding a future Jewish Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled many of these at his first coming. Some of them will be fulfilled when he returns, and he will. Basically, it's a reminder of this Christmas season, why he came, and that his promised return is something we can look forward to. And more with Jim Fletcher, Bible Prophecy, when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Jim Fletcher, and we're talking a little bit about scoffers, Second Peter 2. And an excellent point you made, Jim, to remind Christians to be discerning in the church. Because I think uh, Peter warned, they're coming. Jude says, they crept in. They crept in. They're among us. They are here, basically. Uh, just your thoughts on that, that we don't need to wonder if they're going to be in churches today, because it's probably throughout the country. Yeah, uh, it is, unfortunately. And I'll tell you something that I uh, missed all these years growing up with prophecy teaching and things like that. I did not understand that in the last days, Many of the scoffers, many of the false teachers would come from in the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. Okay? I was raised being taught that it was coming from the Catholics and the mainline mm-hmm. and the New Agers. Now, they're certainly all in the mix. Yes. But, but the evangelical leadership today is being used to finish off the, the apostasy. Mm. And, uh, you know, they're, they're operating out in the open. And, and, you know, people get upset with me sometimes for, for saying a name, but I think we're obligated to do it. And when a guy as famous as Andy Stanley says, you know, cut loose the Old Testament from yeah. your teaching, yeah. or Scripture isn't sufficient, I, mean, I think the guy should be called out. Wow. But, but yeah. even that very thing, think about, how many t- 
top evangelical leaders call Andy Stanley out today? Zero. Mm-hmm. None. MacArthur does, I think, yep. beyond that, it, it, it's not there. So the irony of those prophecies of apostasy is that it's going to come from within our ranks. It's within the fort, yes, as they say. And uh, it's, it's rampant today. Um, everything from denying the fundamentals of the faith to, uh, to you know, uh, denying prophecy, denying Genesis, denying the creation account, yep. uh, which is where the kids first learn uh, in in their circles that uh, the Bible is not trustworthy. Mm. And some of these uh, Christian bookstores, and sometimes now if they're a business, right, you got to put Christian in, in air quotes because some of the stuff they sell under the guise of uh, Christianity or religion is uh, just horrific, uh, but that's the way it is. But I want to go back to um, your section on scoffers, and, and you talk about Brian McLaren. We started off a few weeks ago talking about social justice in the church and mentioned the good old Reverend Jim Wallace, uh, the radical. Um, let's talk about what McLaren believes. He hates, apparently, um, Bible prophecy. He doesn't think uh, it's—he it's, yeah, believes in Darwinian philosophy, as you say in the book. And I want to quote McLaren, as you did in the book, and let you elaborate, Jim Fletcher. He said, these doctrinal formulations often use a bogus end-of-the-world scenario to create a kind of death wish for World War III, which, unless it is confronted more robustly by the rest of us, could too easily create a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is McLaren talking about we are creating this, uh, this, this uh, setup mm-hmm. for World War III. Mm-hmm. Just uh, mm-hmm. elaborate on that a bit more, and we will move on. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's part of the big lie uh, tactic that, that guys like this learn. And in what they do, be, because, and this is a key thing, because biblical illiteracy in this country is at an all-time high, Illiteracy. these guys can operate with, with impunity. I mean, they, yeah. you can just say that such and such isn't true. Well, your audience doesn't know enough to refute it. Exactly. And, and so, you know, he, he's learned to do this. Now, he also never offers any evidence. Um, it, it's very similar to uh, Christopher Hitchens, the late writer, who I actually appreciated some of Hitchens' stuff, but where it came to religion, in, in his book, God is Not Great, he attacks prophecy, he attacks Genesis, he attacks Exodus account, and yet he would say things like, those are simply deranged fantasies, they're myths never offering a sentence of evidence for what he just said. The, the problem is that in the hearts of these men, whether it's Hitchens, uh, McLaren, they simply decided at some point in their life that they did not like the God of the Bible. Hmm. And, and I don't remember the title, but in one of McLaren's books, he recounts what he would, I think, refer to as his salvation story, and it came in a, a church youth camp when he was a kid. He's a teenager, and, and basically he said they were sitting around a campfire one night, and at some point he was lying on his back looking at the stars, and he just starts giggling and laughing, and he just had this warm feeling. And, and that was, that's what he calls his faith story. His, that's why he says he's a Christian. Of course, that's absurd. <laughs> it, it's, it's not the born-again experience. So you have these unregenerated people mm-hmm. in the church today because they identify as Christians, and, and yes, they are in Christian bookstores. I spent 15 years as an editor in the Christian book industry, and I can tell you that the majority of the stuff was garbage. Yep. Mm-hmm. We would go to convention in the summer, the big international convention, and McLaren's books were there. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Uh, Carl Barth's books were there. Wow. Uh, the chicken soup books were there. <laughs> and, and they were for one reason. They, they brought in revenue. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, anyway, um, you know, these guys make their claims and never offer any real defense of what they're saying. And yet people just absorb it and soak it up. Mm. 
Right. It's interesting that McLaren uh, talks about this eschatology of abandonment. I mean, they're just liberals. They're trying to marginalize people. Well, Whether they're in the church or out of the church, they just want to marginalize you and make you look stupid. Well, here, here's another response you can give to somebody like that, and I have before. Name me one prophecy teacher who's an escapist, who's an alarmist, who's, uh, uh, you know, who wants to bring about doomsday? You know, right. as if we could, could anyway. Right. right. But right. Good who, point. who wants everything to end in a fiery right. uh, nuclear whatever? Nobody. Nobody in their right mind. And uh, um, which also reminds me real quickly, it's the same concept as the same people and our politicians in Washington claiming that people like us, are, are driving a Middle East war because of our eschatological fantasies. Well, my, my response to that is, do you seriously believe that a writer in Arkansas has any sway in, <laughs> in diplomacy, in, in international yeah. policy? That's absurd. Mm-hmm. But, but it, it has a purpose. It's a way to tag us as extremists and marginalizes. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, Jim, I just want to point out the the final two things you said in this chapter, and then I think we can touch on replacement theology, which we haven't talked about in, in quite a while, but we have refuted that before. But we'll, we'll, we'll let you share on that. You say in the, in the end of your chapter here, it's rather than hard. It's easy to believe Bible prophecy is true. We have too many examples of specifically fulfilled prophecies. And then you go on and say, second, the conditions for Gog Magog are largely in place. The biggest piece of the puzzle was the return of the Jews to the, their ancestral land as a sovereign nation that had to be there for this prophecy to be fulfilled. That happened beginning in 1882 when the large, first large-scale immigration of Jews uh, to modern Palestine. So just put a bow on this, wrap this present up, and as you wrapped up your chapter and said, it's really not hard to believe or understand Bible prophecy. Yeah, in fact, it reminds me, uh, uh, there's a great quote by Henry Morris, the great creationist, and I knew Henry, and he said once about the book of Revelation, it's not hard to understand, it's hard to believe. See, that's the key. Mm, mm. And and it's that way with, with overall Bible prophecy. The the return of the Jews to their ancestral home after 2,000 years of exile is the, the greatest story of the last 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. And it's so obvious. It's, it's like God put a neon sign in the sky. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it should be something that causes people to fall on their face and worship Him. Mm. But they don't. Yep. And, and I think one of the reasons they don't is because at the same time Bible prophecy is so relevant, more relevant than ever right now, mm-hmm. The churches and ministry leaders are tamping it down. They, they're suppressing it. They're mocking it. They're marginalizing it, uh, which, again, as we said earlier, ironically is in fulfillment of prophecy. But if, if you take just a few prophecy facts and you sat down with a young person, I'm confident that you could at least get them thinking seriously about the existence of God. Mm. And, and the one I just mentioned is the main one. Yep. You give them some historical fact, and then you show them the hundreds of times in Scripture when God says He will bring them back in the last days of their ancestral mm-hmm. land. No other people group in history has ever come back that way right. in, in such precise detail. Um, it, it's like... Um, uh, Yaakov Kirshen is an Israeli cartoonist, and he, he said this one time, I, I talked to him, and he said the same thing, and he was specifically talking about Ezekiel. And he said, you know, he wasn't even particularly religious, but he said, what I like to do is I like to go to dinner parties, and I like to talk to my friends about stuff like this and watch them just explode. <laughs> you know, he said, he said they, they just, he said, you would think that the return of the Jews is something that people would look at the sky and, and finally 
recognize mm-hmm. God, but they don't. Mm-hmm. And he said people get angry when you point these things out. Yeah. Um, and, wow. and so that's, that's a sign of the times. But yeah. uh, it's, um, it's, it's irrefutable proof, yep. Yep. 100%, that the God of the Bible is real and that the Bible is all true. Mm. And, and that we can stand on um, with, I think, total confidence. Mm-hmm. And I've never met a Hittite. Uh, there you, there right? you go. The, the, or an Assyrian yeah, me, or a Sumerian. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, me, let me just, uh, that quote from uh, Walker Percy, the novelist, his famous quote, I never see a, a Hittite in New York City. <laughs> and Percy understood this question exactly as we're talking about. He said, you know, I, I can walk down the street in New York City and I see all kinds of Jews. He said, I, I pass Jews on the sidewalk every day. I never pass a Hittite. And he said, where are all the Hittites in New York City? He understood that they are gone from history. Mm-hmm. They're lost. But the Jews come back. Well, I, I think we were going to touch on replacement theology, but I want to keep going here. We just got have two more minutes with Jim Fletcher. And Jim, explain some of the details. I don't think Americans or people in the West can understand how a land can be practically a desert, how people can be scattered throughout the world, and no, there's no nation, no, no land, no, no people, and then all of a sudden they start coming back, and then there's a, the language is renewed. So tell us a little bit about the, the facts behind that, and I know there's only a minute and a half now. Well, you know, by the 2nd century A.D., the Romans, um, in, a, in about two separate uh, uh, instances, uh, drove the Jews out of uh, Israel, and they went uh, uh, all over the world. And again, God predicted this as far back as Deuteronomy. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's 3,700 years ago. He said exactly what would happen, and he gave the Jews the whole sweep of their history in about two chapters of the Bible. But he said, in the, in the end, I'll bring you back. And so, hmm. 1,900 years, they are scattered from Alaska to Buenos Aires. <laughs> and in the last 100 years, they have come from 185 countries around the world wow. with all of those languages, and they speak Hebrew. Amazing. That's they just... speak one language. Yeah. Yeah. Their ancient language. Please explain that yep. to me apart from the Bible. Correct. It's a miracle of God. Jim yep. Fletcher, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. We'll talk th- again soon in the new year. Have a Merry Christmas. You too. Thanks, Jim. Uh, we will wrap up the week a week from now with Pastor Andy Woods as we look back over 2022 and ahead to 2023. Tomorrow's a replay, a re-air with Jan Markell. Next Monday, Jack Hibbs. Tuesday, John Haller, who just returned from Israel. But we got to go. Merry Christmas. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.